doing this podcast because I get to just rant about the things I like most. <laughs> You're listening to XP Hunter. Happy New Year's, Hunters. Oh, it's so great to see you guys again. It's me, your friend of me, Lee. Uh, I'm so glad that you guys are back. I'm glad to be back. Uh, this episode, of course, is, you know, it's, it's really you know, kind of nostalgic episode because we're definitely going to be talking about, you know, the road so far. And it's been kind of a long road. We're going to look back on all three seasons. So, so let's check out the road so far. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. So I know uh, in the last couple of episodes from last season, uh, you know, I talked a lot about, you know, New Year's resolutions and how a lot of people don't, you know, follow through with them because they have like that new year, new me kind of mentality, which isn't real. I mean, you know, you don't become a new person. You kind of amend or change your lifestyle. Uh, and so that's why a lot of people don't make it. So uh, just a continuation on that, you know. The New Year's has already started, as you guys may or may not know. I don't remember if I told you, but I was in Montreal for New Year's. It was a you know, really good time. Uh, it's a very eclectic city. You know, so many different types of people, Venezuelan, Japanese, Russian, all like living close to each other, which is something I'm not used to being from Boston because we still live in very segregated neighborhoods. Um, but, you know, Qu uh, Quebec has its own kind of thing. I found out that Quebec is kind of secessionist. Like, well, there's a portion of people from Quebec who are, call themselves Quebecois who want to be separate from the rest of Canada. And um, they're kind of, ugh, I don't want to say segregationist, but they are very, they're slightly prejudiced against um, Anglophones, which are people who speak English, because they're Francophones, which are people who speak French. And, you know, there's a whole deep seated history that I don't understand because I'm from America and not from um, Quebec. But uh, it was interesting to learn about, you know, because being from America, I know lots about, you know, um, prejudice based on ethnicity, right? Um, but I've never heard of prejudice, like deep seated prejudice based on language, because even people who speak uh, Quebec French don't like people who speak uh, metropolitan French, which is the French that's spoken in France. And ev oh, it's a whole thing. It was very interesting. <laughs> but spending the New Year's there was, you know, enlightening, had a good time. Um, I'm back now in America, back at work, boo. Um, but I'm, more importantly, I'm back here talking with you guys uh, and, you know, resolutions. So, you know, I, I also put forth that, you know, for XP Hunter, for my, the resolutions, the things I really wanted to happen for XP, um, the website, which is coming later this month, super exciting, yay! Um, you'll be able to check it out. I'll put out a special post on the Instagram and the YouTube and all that stuff uh, when the website is live. That way you guys can go and check it out and, you know, listen to episodes you haven't listened to. Mind you, if you want to listen to the podcast, uh, previous podcast, the previous three seasons, you can find it on Instagram. Uh, you can find it on Spotify, iTunes Music, Google Play Podcast, CastBox, um, and pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts. So that's pretty fun. Um, so you can always catch up and uh, listen to the entire interviews of the people I'm going to highlight from the previous seasons. Uh, but just to get back to the resolutions for XP Hunter. So I've already started. I've already gotten my tickets for most of the cons. 
I'm thinking about whether I want to go to the International Comic Con in San Diego, which is basically like the holy grail of all Comic Cons. But we'll see how financially I am when it gets closer or when the tickets actually go on sale. Um, but so the seasons uh, so far, we've had three seasons of XP Hunter and I've had a good time doing all of them. I've interviewed so many people that um, I really admire now and uh, I love learning about them and like what you know they're working towards and their uh, creative goals. Uh, so I just remember uh, one of my favorite episodes of season one was talking to Fahrenheit who is an artist and a TV producer. Uh, she's a really uh, interesting person. She's very lively and generally just a nice person. And I don't say that with any kind of um, <laughs> sarcasm. She's generally just a nice person, you know. Oh, wow. They say a lot of different things. I know one of the things for me that I've talked to, like, um, about a therapist about is, like, technology. Like, it's mm. a beautiful thing that we have technology and it connect us with all that, but it also disconnects us in a lot of ways. Yep, yep. Okay. So, like, saying, yeah. like, so on technology, say, like, you know, you might... That's why they have, like, all these therapy things online now because mm. they're, like, people are more open and more likely to say how they're feeling, you know, online, like typing it up to a, to a therapist or, you know, being behind like a character thing instead of seeing your real face. XP Hunter. We had a conversation about, you know, mental health and creative arts, not just uh, in comics, but in the classic uh, art world as well. And uh, just in the lives of people in general, uh, mental health has become a really big issue among, or not issue, it's been highlighted uh, a lot of times because for so long it was stigmatized so much that uh, more issues arose because people's mental health issues, whether that be depression or anxiety, weren't addressed and it was kind of brushed under the rug. And we also talked about game logic and mostly game logic focused on actual like video games so there are just tropes that we're so used to seeing that we've kind of bought into them or we're desensitized towards seeing them so it's like even in a, a world that's been created by a person that's fully fantasy or whatever they still can't follow their own rules you know it's like oh well if you have wings you can fly and it's like okay well this person has wings why can't they fly oh well they don't have this special spell that helps them. But, you know, it's just <laughs> game logic is something I think is really interesting because uh, it happens in movies as well and even in comic books. And a YouTube channel, I wouldn't say I just found it, but a YouTube channel that I really love that highlights the issues with uh, what I've dubbed game logic is CinemaSins. So CinemaSins is a great YouTube channel. I love them. They're hilarious. Uh, and they just watch movies and they just point out idiosyncrasies, right, in movies. So it's like, oh, you know, in this scene, like this cut between two scenes that are supposed to be like seconds apart, uh, the person was wearing an orange shirt and now they're wearing a red shirt. Like what? You know, and that's important. You think it's not, but uh, when you go to see a movie or play a video game or read a book, you are agreeing to suspend a certain amount of disbelief. But are you supposed to believe that in between, in one second, the character changed their clothes, even though they're still carrying on the same conversation? No. Is it petty? Yes. But is it legit? Yeah. The scope of that reality. Uh, I think that these uh, game logic issues can be framed in like four special uh, segments. So one is what? The worst, the best, and yes. Right? Because we all know that 
Some game logic issues break the game, they take you out of it. Some of them are super useful and so you really don't care. And then some of them are just, they just make you stop. You know, you're just like, oh, what? What, what just happened? <laughs> so my favorite what game logic is uh, I was actually uh, watching a friend play Skyrim because it's not really my type of RPG. But he was playing Skyrim and, you know, on my urging, he like went to explore like a lake, right? Because I love water in video games because for so long you couldn't go in there. It meant instant death because technology or just the time that would be necessary to animate the water or make it look uh, useful or program in how the character's, you know, body is going to react in the water was just too much. So he's swimming this lake and lo and behold, he finds uh, a chest, right? Which we all know holds treasure or some useful item. So he's going through the chest and he finds a lit torch in the chest at the bottom of a lake. <laughs> and of course, I'm sitting there like, uh, how is that even possible? A, if you put a lit torch in a chest, the chest should be burned and eventually the torch will go out because it would have exhausted all the oxygen inside the box and suffocated itself and went out or perhaps burnt the chest down, which in which case would have let water in and again, put the torch out. So game logic. Yes, this this chest is going to generate a random amount of items, but a lit torch at the bottom of the lake. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> in season two, I, I talked about massively multiplayer games, which is still kind of like a point of contention for me just because not, I want to say I'm a, I'm a lone wolf, but I am saying that a lot of the time, like when I'm playing a game, I want to like not blow through it, but it's like, okay, I want to do this. I want to do that. And sometimes I don't want to wait for other people or I don't want to weigh the people down. Like there have been times when I was in like a clan or I just joined a group and like I was not leveled as high as them. And I was like, oh, I'm not contributing as much. And it makes you feel some type of way sometimes. But yeah, I feel like multi massively multiplayer games kind of take away from the storytelling experience. If it's just like a shoot 'em up game, like you're going on campaigns, you're building armies together, that kind of thing, like you're you're um, pooling resources to like build some giant space station, cool. But like in a game that's supposed to have a story, I much prefer to play alone. Online. So I happened to be walking through my local GameStop and I was just looking for a new game to play. And when I say new, that's a very relative word. If you know anything about the Elder Scrolls Online, they la it launched a very long, long, long time ago. Um, but, well, I say long, long. It came out in like, I think 2014, but that's still a long time. And it's still going strong, which is something to say. But I happen to see it. And one of my favorite YouTubers, uh, Many a True Nerd, he's amazing. Check him out if you'd like. He does really great videos. He has really great um, commentary. And he's not all about flashing his face in your face. He's all about playing these games, uh, games that he enjoys, and, you know, just introducing them to you. And actually, that's how I was introduced to the Elder Scrolls. He did a playthrough of Skyrim. And to be honest, I'm notoriously not great or mostly very interested in games like Skyrim or the Elder Scrolls or Oblivion. But when he started playing and, you know, with his commentary, he's very funny and engaging. I was like, hmm, this seems like a pretty solid game. It was a very solid uh, series. I watched it to the end or until his character came to the end because Skyrim has a lot of branching choices, 
you know, of including what race you can be, what kind of weapons you can use if you're going to play uh, as like just a, you know, just as, you know, damage dealer, you know, with big giant heavy axes that you have to be able to hand or you're going to be a white necromage kind of thing going on. So there's a lot of choices in the game, which is great. Um, but I happen to see it there. And, you know, emblazoned across the top, it was like, no subscription fee ever. And I was like, oh, that's so great. Yeah, sure. Why not? I know there's lots of options. I'll be engaged. There'll be things for me to do. I can play a whole bunch of different ways. XP Hunter will be right back after a brief musical interlude with The Signs by Barbarian. We ignore the signs to stay alive, but they're all around. Yeah, they're all around. They're all around our minds. They're all around our minds. Yeah, yeah. We ignore the signs to stay alive, but they're all around. Yeah, they're all around. They're all around our minds. They're all around our minds. Yeah, yeah. The signs, the signs, the signs, the signs, they're all around, they're all around us. This is the last time you're gonna see me. A quick exit for all those to see me. This is the last kiss, you're gonna feel me. I got my records to see all I gotta see. This is the last time you're gonna see me. A quick exit for all those to see me. This is the last kiss, you're gonna feel me. I got my records to see all I gotta see. This is the last time you're gonna see me. A quick exit for all those to see me. Uh, in season two, we also got a chance to talk with a companion. We co-opted with Kagan Luce, who is the artist and author of Lunchtime Comics, with an X at the end. Uh, and 
I really like Kagan. He's so he's so interesting. I mean, he's a graphic artist by day, and he does his comic, you know, in his free time. But uh, he's recently expanded. You know, he's taking that big giant leap. Um, him and his partner, who also started a community event called Comics in Color, which happens at a local library uh, every month. They actually started a comic book convention, which is coming in April fourth of twenty twenty. It's super exciting. It's going to be at a local college in the center, the geographic center of Boston, which is a neighborhood called Roxbury and it's gonna be so much fun it's called it's obviously called the Comics and Color Expo and you know any everyone is invited right the comics and art I think sometimes is, is a very inclusive uh, creative genre but uh, it's geared towards cosplayers of color um, artists of color fans of color just anyone who you know uh, I didn't get to do my episode on Adam Bashir. That's coming soon. Spoiler alert for the rest of the season. There are so many characters of color, and a lot of uh, even younger people kind of feel like they're underrepresented in comics and color. Are, uh, their goal is to bring together all these people who are interested and uh, are purveyors of comics of the type. Because you have to remember that most of the comics that you're reading are comics by major publishers, right? So you have Marvel, you have DC, and uh, Marvel and DC have bought up a lot of the smaller companies like Vertigo and um, Image and other comic companies like that. So uh, a lot of the comics that might have had characters like that, they kind of don't exist anymore. So uh, it's going to be a lot of your more indie comic companies that aren't really in your face. They don't, you know, they don't represent some of the hallmarks of like superhero dumb or anything like that. So you might not have heard of them, but there are tons of comics out there that have characters or focus um, on characters of color. So the Comic Expo is coming very, very soon, but we'll talk more about that later. But Kagan Luce uh, came and, you know, he talked about, you know, why he does his art, uh, what um, drove him to do his comic strip and the like. So the greater um, project we're working on is the comics Boston Comics and Color Festival, which is going to be a comics arts festival that's going to happen at RCC, fingers crossed, and um, on April 4th, 2020. I mean, we're still, um, you know, laying the groundwork and getting the team together and all that stuff to make that happen, but I'm really excited about it. Uh, I've been to Comic Arts Festival for People of Color in other cities, mm. and um, it's just an amazing space where um, people can share their stories and cosplay and meet one another and, you know, feel safe that their stories are important and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, see people like them creating stories in comic books because there's a really, really big um, kind of, I guess, underground but becoming above ground mm -hmm. um, black comic scene where, you know, there's so many creators out there making amazing work. And I'd love to bring them to Boston so people yes, can see it. I would love it, too. I I just recently went to, well, PAX is for video games, but I am going uh, yeah. to Comic-Con Boston, and I'm super excited. And, you know, right around convention time, people are always talking about, you know, when you're black and you cosplay, like, cosplaying is a safe place, and it should be for everyone. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you say I don't have to cosplay as anyone who looks like me, but you don't have to think about it, right? You can just right. cosplay as whoever when, you know, you're, you're white or just, you know, because most characters aren't aren't uh black right. and even you know i feel like uh brown skin people are really looking for someone to you know look up to and to and not just in the, the mainstream um but you know they're very adamant about it i had someone who she has no no clue about comics or anything but she heard about 
one a meetup like Comics in Color. And she was like, oh, did you know the first Green Lantern was black? And I was like, okay, well, technically, the first Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, is, he was white. But Jon Stewart was second, and he's totally awesome, yes. But she <laughs> Thank was you just, for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like. You got to get those details right. Yes. And, and that's the thing. It's it's. She just, but she wanted to grab hold of Jon Stewart. She was right. like, Jon Stewart is mainstream, and he, you know, in, in, he was the first. Was, he's not the first, but he does command the Green Lantern Corps. He's he's a big deal. Um, but they they're reaching out for that, and it's really hard when you reach out and you grab something and come back with nothing. So bringing you know people who write diverse stories about uh, what is a very diverse group of people. You know, right. you say black, but there are a lot of people who fall into that category or or identify that way. Um, and I really love that. And that would be so exciting. I'm really excited for it. Uh, I got the flyer at the Juneteenth celebration, and I was like, oh. And I was so sad that it was next year. I was like, why can't it be in a couple <laughs> I months? I time to put this thing together. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I'm so impatient. <laughs> um, but your uh, drawing, I'm going to get a little technical. Not super technical because I'm not an artist, guys. I have very little idea what I'm talking about. But I do know like when I read comics, the, the drawing style, the art style is part of what draws me into it, right? Because visually, if I can't connect with it, it's hard to pick up the story or not pick up the story. But, you know, um, so your style, how did that develop? I know it's a lot of dark lines. You know, mm -hmm. your characters are outlined um, and the colors are not oversaturated. They're kind of normal. But like what um, what pushed you towards that art style versus like a Oh, I keep forgetting the artist's name, but Neil Gaiman did a comic, a, a graphic novel called Violent Cases, and it's all uh, like watercolors and light. And what made you do your your comic the way you did? Well, there's a lot. I mean, there's lots of different ways to do mm -hmm. comics. Mm -hmm. Obviously, um, my style kind of developed from the way that I was doing it with because um, I laid down uh, pencil first, and then I was really interested in inking. It was kind of what I was kind of focused on mm -hmm. uh, for a while, and. Uh, just using different tools, whether a nib or a, a, a brush pen. And mm. I really found that a brush pen really uh, worked well for me, but it's adding, you know, the quality of line is just so interesting because you can go mm. thick to thin, mm -hmm. thick to thin, as uh, you know, in one line. So, um, so I do tend to use a lot of heavy lines. And I'm, I'm, um, and I do, I'm kind of traditional where I, I use paper, I use graphite, on paper and then ink over it and erase away the um, graphite, mm. then scan it in and then digitally color it and add the uh, text in. So I really am stuck on, a lot of people are moving over to all, all digital production. Yeah. Um, but uh, for now, I'm really enjoying kind of the more traditional mm -hmm. uh, pen on paper style. So season two was a really great time for uh, talking with, uh, <laughs> with you know co-opting it was a really great time for um meeting new companions and partying up and everything and so we also got to talk with zamboni jones who i know personally and uh he actually introduced me to uh, magic the gathering and i had thought for a second that i had played the game before but i hadn't it was actually a different game called Nation, um which was introduced to me by my uncle uh who passed away but i haven't played that in a long time either but um, Zamboni Jones uh, introduced it to me and he told me about his long history. He's also a video gamer. He, you know, he's a fan of your classic RPG, um, but actually recently got a deck um, that he actually gifted me and it was really, really cool. And uh, we played one game together. You know, our work schedules don't really match up, but he introduced me to Magic the Gathering and talked about its place in his life and why he loves it so much. My favorite reason is that it's never 
for the most part, if you play casual Magic, it's never the same game twice. So you could play a game against someone, um, if you're playing like best of three, the first game will be five minutes, and then the second game will be like a half hour, 40 minutes. The, the strategy is infinite, really. Mm. There's so many cards. I think now there are 20,000 different cards. So the strat- there's so many strategies out there, it's mind-blowing. You'll, like, you'll always find something different, which is what I love about it. It's not just like cut and dry the same every time. Like your strategy will develop a little differently each time. Um, the depending on if we ever if we get into like how to play down the road, it's just like you have to be on your toes all the time. Or depending how casual or competitive you are, um, your experience with the game can help you find other avenues of strategy. Etc. It's just it really is endless, which is cool. The other part of it that I really like is that it encompasses all of fantasy. So like any fantasy or sci-fi creature you can think of or concept you can think of is in Magic. Ooh. Encompasses. I think there's about ten thousand different creatures in Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you could think of, like every like animal, like there's lions. Uh, I think there's armadillos. Armadillos. There's ants, snakes, turtles, like any animal you could think of. But also like the staple fantasy creatures. Dragons, vampires, uh, merfolk, so many wizards, um, minotaurs, like Ooh. so everything, That's a like lot of anything. I like that. Anything you could think of. In season two, we also got the opportunity to talk to a comic artist that I personally just I like went out there and just had to like grab him, uh, the author uh, and artist of ordeal uh if you want to check it out uh you can find it online uh just google ordeal comics just like kagan loose you can find his comic at lunchtime comics uh they have a facebook page and an instagram uh and zimboni jones you can find him he's the um he's one of the hosts of uh beantown black and gold which is a uh, hockey podcast or radio show and they have a facebook as well so don't be afraid to check these guys out if you'd like uh they're all very interesting but Brent Bristol is the art author and artist behind Ordeal, which, oh, such a good comic. I love the artwork. I love the characters. Uh, I'm starting to love the story. I mean, it kind of has a generic bad guy, but I'll leave, you know, interpretations to you guys. But I got to talk to Brent, and he was so, <laughs> he was kind of, uh, I think he was a little bit nervous. Uh, he had just dedicated himself to doing this comic like he wanted to be an artist full time and that's a big step to take and I was just really happy that he talked to me. Okay, what is Audio? Audio is um it's a story about my main character, She Hart, who I have a friend named She and I have another friend named Hart. So I just like so everybody's based off of somebody I know. Most of the characters are based off of people I I know in my, my life. And um, Shehart and his friends, uh, they are under tutoring by, to put it blunt, the strongest guy, one of the strongest guys. He's a very old man. He's a war hero. He, his name is Leo. He has a big reputation, but he's very humble. So, you know, he doesn't want the fame and the, all that. So he just stays and trains some younger guys who don't have a lot of guidance. So some of them don't have parents and stuff like that. So he just teaches them, and um, it so happens that one of his rogue students, one of his earlier students, wasn't very happy with him and happy with Leo, and how Leo wasn't very 
happy with his level of skill. And this guy's name is Rokash. Mm-hmm. So Rokash kind of took his anger out on him and ended up killing Leo. That is a whole other story by itself. <laughs> but. To round out season two, I I think I had to put forth the idea. I want to have this conversation again because I definitely want to talk about the topic again of Forever Heroes. I'm going to ha- bring on some, you know, uh, classic, uh, classic, uh, some, uh, how should I say, more mature connoisseurs of comics. Maybe I'll bring back uh, another companion we had uh, named Albie L, who we had in season one. And... Uh, Another person I recently met uh, who was actually also a producer at BNN uh, and have a conversation about Forever Heroes. Forever Heroes, uh, if you don't get my meaning, mostly it has to do with comics. So it has to do with your, you know, your Batmans, your Supermans, your Wonder Womans, uh, and your Green Lanterns. Mm, less Wonder Woman, I guess, because she's technically, I guess you can say, a god. Her dad is uh, the god of war. But with Forever Heroes, my biggest issue is that they never die, right? Uh, the other day, I actually was having a conversation with people who, uh, you know, they know who Batman is, but I was like, yeah, you know, uh, I was telling them about uh, Heroes in Crisis and about how, you know, they created a sanctuary to help superheroes and, you know, vague gray area people like Harley Quinn deal with their issues. And they were all kind of like, ha, 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 these fictional characters need, like, therapy. And I was like, well, you have to remember that in the context of the the comics, they're real people. And I told them about how um, Robin, uh, Jason Todd, was murdered by, or supposedly murdered by the Joker with a crowbar, and how traumatizing that would be for, for Batman because... All his Robins, all the kids he adopts, are they're his children. He loves them, even though he's never going to say that out loud. And they were like, wait, there's more than one Robin? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, they're like, but wait. like the, I was like, yeah, like Dick Grayson was the first one, and he like aged out. like He became an adult. And they were like, but Batman was already a grown adult when he adopted Dick Grayson. So how is it that Batman still even, you know? <laughs> and the, the whole question was, how could Batman still be of an age to be Batman and now he has a new Robin and I mean that's a good question to have Batman uh, among all superheroes is just a human being and so how could he still be alive and so the conversation about forever heroes was really kind of like the one of the streams of consciousness I was having at the time and so it made it into season the very end of season two I should say you don't want to see them die right I mean We all know that every story that has a beginning has an end, you know, except for the never ending story. But you know what I'm saying. But, you know, as a creator, yeah, you don't want to see this this thing you created that's become nomenclature, that's become a part of the experience of something to go away. But at the same time, you know, the story has to end. And to be fair, the forever hero kind of trope is really starting to weigh on readers and not just you know the people who are 60 or 70 who were buying comics for five cents at the five and dime we're talking about readers like myself who were born in the late 80s we're talking about you know readers who were born in the mid 90s like most people are really kind of falling out of interest with the forever hero right because if you really uh if you've ever read um any comics or even some animes and video games the thing is it's like (laughs) superman has died i think like five times maybe more over his publication history and so haven't 
a slew of other uh, main and supporting characters within multiple comic lines like they die and they come back because it's kind of like the opposite of J.R.R. Martin right like when he kills someone he was like oh they have to die you know no F's given he was like they have to die and the thing is that people die right but with comics it's like we want to kill this character because you know actually I'm getting more increasingly frustrated little tangent guys I just have to tell you I hate chick flicks right and I just realized just now that they kill characters for plot they kill them for the same reason that you know in a chick flick the you know the the main character's boyfriend has cancer right because they want to force a reaction out of you and in trying to force that reaction to you it's like oh well we want them to be invested and we want them to be so hurt that they have to come back and read more and they're like how can we do that oh I guess we'll kill someone important to them. Let's kill Superman. And the thing is, is like, yeah, when it first happened, the shock value was so tangible that it probably bumped their stock up. Like, uh, I can't say dollars, guys, but it probably bumped their stock up by like 10 points or something. Right. Because it was like, oh, my gosh, like I have to have this this uh, comic, this uh, um, I have to I have to have this comic for posterity because Superman's dead but then lo and behold the next issue that came out oh Superman's alive again oh we used the Lazarus piss oh we used oh man I forgot what the little chamber inside the ship that Zod brought was called but whatever we used that to bring Superman back so now he's alive again and the thing is is that the first time that happens you're like oh I'm glad Superman's alive you're not even thinking about it but the third fourth fifth sixth seventh time you're like ugh. when he dies you're just like oh okay let's keep it moving guys we still have the evil guy to kill because You've seen him die and come back so many times. And so you know that they're going to bring him back, A, because this is real life and you know it's about money. But also, you know, they're going to bring him back because at this point in the context of the universe, they have no idea what life without Superman is like. And even the people who are kind of against, I guess, Superman's kind of technically an alien, but, you know, the people who are against mutants or don't like super powered people are still like oh man like there's a volcano erupting like what are we gonna do about that guys like oh if superman was here he could just throw his ice breath and everything would be great and happy again right so that's also part of the reason why they uh, someone's always looking for a reason to bring back the protagonist but forever heroes like do they serve a like a real purpose right so originally in my head because I didn't actually know about what caused the initial collapse of the comic industry and I was like oh well obviously like the forever hero is what saved them right like they played on that nostalgia but really like most things in life the you know the collapse of the comic industry was uh, wasn't about you know good stories or good writing or good art it was about money it was about uh distributors kind of nickel and diming uh retailers and kind of you know setting these unachievable like these it was about distributors kind of milking retailers for money saying they had to stock this much product and sell this much and you know if you're a retailer and you're buying the stock and you don't sell it then you have to eat whatever you paid for the product because you haven't sold it and so it that's that's what really caused it um, I thought it was always like people fell out of interest with 
comics because they were seeing the same stories because they weren't written, not written well, but they weren't engaging or they just didn't want to invest in it when really it was because people, speculators kept driving up the prices of comics. And so it was kind of like, oh, get this, get this copy because it will be worth this much. And it became more of a stock and trade rather than just a form of entertainment and literature kind of thing. So they say that that might be coming to a head again, but we're gonna, we're going to stay away from solely just the money aspect. We're going to be talking about um forever heroes and lazy readers and lazy writers. Okay, so I'm not going to lie and say that I don't consider myself a lazy reader. I mean, I'm not. I relate to characters in I'll say obtuse way. So the thing is, I like Superman. He's cool. Um, he's not my favorite hero. Super. I like Superman. He's not my favorite superhero, but I do like the attributes he has. I think for how old he is, like technically he's way too naive, but I digress. Season three was really exciting. Mostly because um, I should say, I shouldn't say it was exciting. It was a little bit uh contentious because I just had a lot of things going on I like I wasn't like feeling well um like things weren't going well in my personal life but I was like I'm gonna keep doing this because I like it so much I love talking to you guys um and you know talking out talking it out you know plot points characters uh plot holes all this stuff is really good for you you know learn something new gain new levels and so uh the season actually kind of got posted <laughs> Uh, in very in a very strange way, but I did still talk about some really great topics, um, including I, I still got to talk about some really great topics, um, including NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month, which happens every November, every year, um, and it happens technically in November, but you you can do it any month you want to. If you don't have time in November, if your November of 2019 was super busy, you could do it in January or February of 2020. There's nothing stopping you from doing that, which is what I think is most fun. Uh, we also, uh, we only had one companion this season, T. Lu, uh, who is a lifelong learner. He's uh, He was one of my more mature guests, um, but he is a videographer. And uh, he has done so many things and he's always learning new ways to do everything. He's very big on technology, which I know that a lot of millennials and Gen Z don't really think that older people can do. But he's always learning about the newest gadgets, about how to, you know, uh, use his DSLR that has Wi-Fi connection to, you know, match with his um, iPad, which he does 4K shooting on. He's just always learning new things. And that I love that about him. And I love that about creatives. A lot of creatives is that if you want to keep doing your best work, it's not to say you have to use the latest gadget, but you should keep up to date with what's going on. So like Tilu was a very interesting uh, all-around companion to have. Um, I've taken so many classes uh, <laughs> lately, too. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm headed to New York uh, Wednesday, uh, this coming Wednesday, to take a class in uh, the different styles of uh, movie shooting and mm. stuff like that. But it, it, it's not that I have a special talent. I have a thirst to learn. Mm. In order to learn, you have to go to school. It's like anything else. Uh, you're not born with it. It's just like driving a car. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you got to 
learn to put on your seatbelt, where the ignition is, uh, and different factors in, in driving an automobile. Mm. Now we just jump in it and off we go. <laughs> you know, and, and, it's like, and it's like that in anything else that, you know, in my personal opinion, that uh, anyone out there has the capability of doing what I do, mm. but you have to go to school. Mm. And you have to be uh, passionate enough, enthusiastic uh, enough to sacrifice uh, some things. Uh, I could be hanging out on the street corner, uh, but I choose to take that money and invest it in education. Mm. Mm. And because I know uh, I'll make enough money later on that I can hang out <laughs> on the street corner yeah. the way I'd like to yeah. and have the things that, you know, that I'd like to have. Well, when Shoot. I'm doing T. Lou Productions as my business, uh, I'm earning a living uh, as a result of what I do. Mm. When I freelance, uh, it allows me to do anything and everything I want to do. I can do it uh, for a nominal uh, fee, uh, for no fee. Mm. Uh, and I've done a couple of things uh, for no fee, and I do things that I do get paid. Mm. Um, it's, uh, as I look back on it, I should have done this you know, a long time ago. <laughs> but, you know, the thing now is that today's technology is a lot different from the technology when I was younger at oh, that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, when I was a teenager, I was more interested in becoming a pilot. Mm. So I went into uh, uh, college to become a mechanical engineer, switched to aerospace engineering, only to find that, uh, well, I didn't need any more engineers. So I went into business and computers oh. and then to criminal justice. Uh and then uh, I did do some um, master's work at Harvard uh, in government, but uh, it was too writing intensive for me. And I said, well, it's time to back out. But the love of my life has always been photography. Mm. And the, uh, the ghost in my past has been, what is this thing about video? <laughs> and this one thing about video that fascinated me was it had sound. Mm in addition to the picture. Well, I mean, you know, a video is really just a bunch of still pictures played one after another in exactly. quick succession. So <laughs> you still love photography. <laughs> right. But, you know, the thing is, though, when you talk about someone, and uh, especially when you're interviewing someone, and and uh, if you're doing a documentary about somebody and somebody's family, you can say, this is Uncle uh, uh, Bobby uh, King, and this is the way Bobby King would shake his uh, foot or twiddle his thumbs, as they say, uh, when he spoke. And you can actually sh uh, show this. You can actually hear the way he spoke as he was speaking. In a picture, you get one frame, mm, yeah, and that's it. Mm. You know, and uh, you can say, well, this is the way he looked. But now with video... Um, you get a little bit more than that. And the fascinating thing about video today is because we're shooting in high definition, uh, what we're talking about is a very intense uh, resolution, um, they're taking frames from the video, and that's where you get your pictures, your mm -hmm. still pictures. Mm -hmm. So that's how intense and how uh, finite 
digital photography and, and videography is today. So we also uh, talked about, in season three, I also got around to talking about Green Lantern. So a lot of people were talking about in Justice League how, you know, they kind of just had this glimpse of Green Lanterns in the very beginning of the movie, but Green Lantern wasn't in the movie, even though he was one of the founding members of the Justice League, which is just a whole nother can of worms because I just don't understand why... Uh, <laughs> I don't understand why Cyborg was in that movie because Cyborg is a teen tie-in. He's not. He wasn't a part of the founding members of the Justice League, but it's fine. Well, but I digress. Uh, but the whole that episode about you know what's going to happen with Green Lantern? It, are we just doing Hal Jordan? Are they going to try and introduce all the Green Lanterns? Because at this point there are six, uh, and that was a really good conversation to have. Uh, I'll probably end up having it again this season uh, with some uh, new companions. Yeah, Green Lantern. Hal Jordan is obviously original. If you don't know, it starts with Hal Jordan, and then it goes to John Stewart, then Guy Gardner, then Kyle Rayner, and most recently you have Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz. And so now there are six Earth Green Lanterns. But Hal Jordan was the original, and he was kind of not the 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 road paver, but he was right because if you know, um, in like the I'll say the Golden Age, you Green Lantern was not was not based in I guess you'll say science so right now the Green Lanterns are basically space police right they have their um, Green Lantern rings that allows them to use their force of will to create light constructs hard light constructs and it helps them fly and do all those things but before you had the Green Lanterns like that there was a Green Lantern who uh, existed in comics he just sold his comics sold really poorly um, and his um, power was based in magic. Uh, and at that time, right when, you know, the times were a change in uh, magic and mysticism and fantasy were kind of going by the wayside. Like people were kind of not tired of it. But again, a, a lot of times with with creative mediums or mass media creative mediums, um, it was just the, the whole landscape, creative landscape was saturated with with fantasy and now you have like writers like Ray Bradbury and stuff like that coming out with this sci-fi like hard sci-fi I'll say hard sci-fi you know a, a, a breath between fantasy and sci-fi and people were so much more interested in space and so because the original Green Lantern um because the original Green Lantern Martin Martin Nodell uh because his, his comics were selling so poorly, they switched over to this new Green Lantern, which, of course, is Hal Jordan and, you know, Space Police. They they are uh, your average Green Lantern is induct inducted into the Green Lanterns. They're given their uh, Green Lantern rings. They're trained and then they are given a sector of the, the universe, actually, to patrol and to take care of and make sure that uh, no egregious uh, acts are committed. Right. So. Like I said, space police. Uh, so for me in the movie universe, right, uh, what's most important for me personally? I mean, I'm kind of a searcher, right? So if I really want to know something or a piece of information, I will go out and find it. So for me, you know, I've already, you know, wiki, Marvel wikied and, you know, comic searched, you know, all the different like retcon histories of Hal Jordan and, you know, Stuff like that. Like, so I know the backstory of Hal Jordan and how he became Green Lantern and blah, blah, blah. So for me, a uh, origin movie doesn't do anything. And I think that obviously they want to keep interest in the characters and the storylines that they're creating. They want more people to buy their comics. They want more people to be invested in seeing 
uh, their movies and everything. So I get that, but I'm also like, they say these things, but then they make movies and they change stuff in the movies. And they're like, well, this is a cinematic universe. I'm like, yeah, but you just fundamentally change something about this character that in the comics is what, you know, draws people to them. So for me, like, I don't really want to see an origin story. I want to see something formative, right? Like, if they're going to do the, the origin story, like, yeah, okay, let's make that the first, you know, five, ten minutes of the movie. I don't need a whole movie about his origin story, especially because when you look back on the original, or I say original, the first Green Lantern movie with Ryan Reynolds, it's just, it seems like they were just, <laughs> it seems like they just stretched it out, right? And they kind of combined elements that in that movie that shouldn't be there, I guess I'll say. Um, and if okay let me break this down so uh in the film the plot is basically you know Hal Jordan he flies test planes he does something he's not supposed to do the plane crashes and you know that stuff costs money so he gets fired um and he's actually out and he sees like a plane um crash and he goes to check it out and Abensor is there he's a green lantern and he gives his ring to Hal Jordan um or the ring chooses him, basically. It says that you, you know, Hal Jordan, you have the capacity for great will and to overcome fear. And he gets the ring. Uh, and then later in the movie, um, Abensor, I mean, in the movie, it's like Abensor, like, defeats um, the malevolent, like, being Parallax, right? And so, for me, <laughs> if you know anything about, like, the history of Green Lantern, you know that Parallax... Uh, is the name of the fear entity, right? And so uh, the spectrum, the, the emotional spectrum, obviously represented by colors, green is will. Uh, fear is yellow. And they all have uh, these aspects that uh, physical embodiments that represent their, their emotion. And so for will, it's like this big green whale. And for fear, it's parallax, which kind of looks like an, an insect to me personally. Um, and so when they present Parallax as like this monster being thing that doesn't look anything like it, it looks personified in the comic. I'm like, what, what is this? And that confuses people. And that's the issue with creating this cinematic universe and saying that it's different when they're fundamentally changing what happens in the comics. And the whole point of it is like Parallax in the comics gets trapped. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy can't kill it, right? Because it's the embodiment of fear in the universe. And as long as someone experiences fear, Parallax will exist. And so the only thing you really can do is trap it. It doesn't, A, uh, Abensor is not the one who traps Parallax. The Guardians of the Universe trap Parallax, Parallax. And to keep him uh, from, you know, spreading fear or anything like that in the galaxy more than it already exists they actually trap him in the central power battery uh and by doing that uh it actually makes green lanterns feet uh weak to the color yellow but um that just makes more sense than what they did in the movie they and they change a, a serious character parallax the embodiment of fear in in reality into being this monster of the week uh and for me personally like it how jordan um, is actually, you know, they're space police. So Hal Jordan's sector is not technically the sector that includes Earth. So, you know, he's off doing his space police thing. And he comes back to find out that Star City, where he lives, is um, has been destroyed, completely wiped out. His family gone, all the people he's ever known or seen in that town gone. And so he uses his power ring to recreate it. 
And the Guardians of the Galaxy say, oh, that's against the rules because you're using your power selfishly. And they take away his Green Lantern ring. And he's so deep in his like anger and fear and sadness that he, that Parallax, which is trapped in the central power battery, uses that to take over him and how Jordan becomes Parallax. And then he goes and he uh, kills literally the entirety of the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, and I think the comic line is called Emerald Twilight. And that that is seriously interesting, right? That is good. It's a really good story arc. It's great writing. And so for me, when they go and they take a character like Hal Jordan and they try and put him into what they call cinematic universe, I'm like, what was wrong with the comic book, comic book version of... In every season, I always like have this urge to like do a list because, you know, I love lists. I think sometimes they're really good. It's <laughs> it's interesting to hear uh, people's thoughts and like see if, you know, my impression of something is the same as other people's impression. And so every season I've done lists. So I've done lists in season one. I did my top five video games. Mind you, like my top games are actually my top games are pretty set, but other top. I think top fives, they, they they rotate, they change. But in season one, I did my top five video games or four actually because I kind of the four spot was kind of like empty, right? <laughs> and mostly because um, games fall in and out of favor with me except for like my top two. So like my number one favorite video game of all times is Final Fantasy VII. My second is the Mass Effect trilogy. And then after that, it's kind of like up for grabs all the time. Um, but I, at the time, you can hear what my top five favorite video games of the time were on the podcast in season one. And I usually only do one list every season because too many lists can be kind of boring. But in season two, I did my, ooh, did I not do one in top in season two? Oh, I did my, in season two, I did my top four uh, favorite uh, comic story arcs. And that was interesting to do because like, I was like, oh, I have to do a list. I'll do it on comics because I did it on video games last season. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, 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 what are my favorite story arcs? I had to like actually sit down and look through the comics I had at home and then also kind of Google. And then I'm like, ah, yes. And so I made a list for you guys. Um, it, it's a good list, I think. I think it stands pretty well, even up till now. And then in season three, I did my top, ooh, my favorite books. And that is like a tough order to fill, to be honest, because hmm, when it comes to books, like uh, much like I was saying, they're kind of inter not interchangeable, but they, they fluctuate mostly because you know, when you gain new information, when you gain XP and you level up, your perspective of the world changes around you. And so the things you used to like, you don't like anymore. You like a little bit less than you used to because now you know more. So guys, that is the long winding road that we've been on so far. Um, just for like an update, this episode is only going to be 27 minutes like it usually is. But the following episodes are going to be an hour. I know. Yeah. Um, I'm still debating on whether or not I'm going to cut it up for you guys because I think listening to our hour-long podcast is kind of much, to be honest. I, I don't know if I would sit down and watch or listen to, I should say rather, um, listen to an hour-long podcast. But uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm going to test it out. We'll see how you guys like it or how it's uh, how it's uh, uh, perceived or how you guys feel about it, and then we'll proceed from there. But 
um, that's been the the ooh. that's been the road so far. Uh, that's been the road so far. So hopefully in the future uh, we're gonna have a lot more adventures. Uh, like I said, one of the other surprises for this season, not only that the episodes are going to be longer, um, with the launch of the website, I'm also going to be launching XP Hunter IRL, uh, where we do a little bit of news, you know, upcoming games, things you should look out for. Um, we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff. We're going to have companions on physically so you can see them and all that good stuff. But we're also going to launch uh, new episodes or a new show called Create Make Plus, where like I show you my process on, you know, my, my, <laughs> my fledgling cosplay, uh, ideas and practices. And, uh, we're gonna do some contests. Uh, it's going to be super exciting and you guys can participate if you'd like, and it's going to be so much fun. Um, and all the prizes will kind of be geared towards, you know, helping you maybe <laughs> pay for your um, PS4 subscription, which seems to be getting more and more expensive, or it, or it could just be in my head, but I feel like it's getting more expensive, or to help you buy fabric for your own cosplay um, ideas, it, or even uh, artwork, special artwork done by uh, some of our former companions. So I hope you guys are looking forward to that. Remember, if you wanna contact me, if you wanna participate, be a guest host, be a you know co-op with me, be a companion, you can always contact me at xphunterlee at gmail.com or send me a direct message on Instagram or you know subscribe on YouTube I could always use uh, I, you can use pretty much any method to contact me so in the meantime guys gain XP level up and be more see you next time <laughs>